0: Welcome to the Academy of Esports Podcast. My name is James O'Hagan, and for this episode, I welcome back Stephen Reed. Stephen Reed is a Senior uh, Custom Engagement Manager with Microsoft.
1: Stephen, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me for the second time.
0: For the second time. And what we are doing this uh, this episode is in promotion of the Games Make a Difference Symposium, which will be at Purdue University, April 8th, down in West Lafayette, Indiana, Stephen, it's again, it's going to be a little different than where you are right now in the world. Uh, West Lafayette, Indiana is its own unique place. And I can't wait to show it to you my own alma mater, my campus. But before we get into a bit of the meat of the conversation around the symposium and some of the current work that you're doing, I have some questions for you different than the last time because the last sure. time we jumped right in. Um, but these will help people get to know you a little better. So number one, Uh, What's a game, and it doesn't have to be a video game, that stands out as having been important to you at some point in your life, and why was that experience meaningful?
1: That's a really good question, and I immediately go to Command & Conquer Red Alert for two reasons. Um, The first is uh, I was heavily bullied at school, like really badly bullied for consistently for years, for a whole variety of reasons that I won't go into, but some Uh, really difficult situations that that led to other kids isolating me and so I and and I didn't have deep connections as as with friends at school and then I met one very good friend who has who we have traveled together throughout life and in fact I was playing command and conquer with him yesterday and he and I discovered Command and Conquer together. um He lived in the street next to me, and I said to him, "I play this game, and 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 you control tanks, and I control tanks, and then we try to fight each other." And he was like, "Sure, I'll do that." And it was PlayStation One, and we used a Link lead. And he was he was he's he's gone on to become an electrician. And at the time, he extended the Link lead so that we and we tried to run a Link lead from his house right across the street cars drove over over it and everything into his into my house and it never really worked because the take but it was what we tried it was so good anyway that game was my social salvation uh in terms of giving me a place to be and someone to be there with um and he he traditionally played the allies i traditionally played the uh the soviet uh, army and 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 we uh, we played an alternative World War II together for many years and and of course other things came from that, but that was my that was my salvation in that in that sort of uh difficult bubble and brought me a friend for life. The second reason I put that game out there is because it was then the very first game that I ever taught with. I've taught with 140 games uh now in my career. Uh in over 70 countries. Um, But that was the first game because I knew it so well and it was the alternative World War II. I was invited to do a history unit um, when i was uh when i was first starting out and i was like i know what we could do it was a world war ii uh, you had to teach the Maginot line and the importance of the french border and the germans and so on and i was like i know what we could do and it led to weeks and weeks and weeks of students playing command and conquer and really deeply understanding the european geography and the political um over uh you know the the, the overtones and understand i mean i had students that could tell me exactly where Trieste was and why it was significant in World War II because they had either conquered or liberated it as part of our unit of Command and Conquer Red Alert. And the other teachers at the time were like, how do your students know so much about both European geography and European history? And I was just like, because we play games. Um, And so that game has been significant for those two reasons.
0: And uh, if you would like some more details about Stephen's experiences with that game and teaching with the games... First episode of the podcast that Steve and I did, we went into quite a bit of depth about that. I We won't go rehash my, my side of the story, but uh, there's a lot of depth in that in that w- with Steven just shared. Uh, but for the second question, a little different question here. Uh, maybe it's totally eccentric or maybe it's quite traditional, but what is your superpower? That thing that you
1: do better than most people or what do you wish you could do? Oh, so I'm gonna. It's so difficult to answer this as part of your own. Like, it's just like, hey, my superpower is my looks, or whatever. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but um, and I don't believe that incident. I'm just putting that out there. Mm-hmm. But um, there are many. Ma- I often say to people, there are many, many things in this world that I am not good at. Okay, um, and and many, many more that I don't even know that I'm not good at. But what I have always been very passionate about and therefore I think um, have developed as a career and become good at is making the connections between play and learning Um, something that I think society generally has kind of over over decades of of traditional and maybe even centuries of of traditional teaching methods um, we've come to forget in fact I was learning at the bet show this year from a a play practitioner that 80 percent of parents do not know how to effectively play with their children. I mean, that's a staggering statistic. Um, When we think, surely it's easy to just get on the floor and play Lego with your kids, right? Or draw with your kids or something. they can't make believe right we can play make Mm -hmm. believe um I'll be the dinosaur you'll be the human run 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 (laughs) parents can't do it 80% of parents can't do it um they've no idea how to do it and that creates huge amounts of disconnect which in turn perpetuates because then each new generation of children don't know how to play with their children Mm -hmm. and yet we all start as playful creatures we all start as the, the you know we all imagine we all have little figures that we play with we all make believe we all um build things and create things and then stand on the after when we're finished or whatever we climb trees creatively but we forget somewhere 80% of us forget somewhere in the journey and so I, I that's the one thing I've always been good at is is being the child and then but but also being the adult at the same time and recognizing how to bridge those two things, I make deep connections constantly. My head is constantly uh, exploding with oh, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this. And in fact, in all of the you know you do these Myers Briggs things and you do these Clifton Strengths things, and I've just fi- I've finished Emergenetics, which is a hugely um, a valuable one actually for insights. If you haven't seen it already, um, but I've I've just completed all of those, and every single one of them comes out that I am ideator. Creator and strategic thinker, so it, I, I, that's what I'm good at. That's my superpower. You want an idea and you want to know how to make it work in the in in the realm of education and play? Um, I'm your guy. Well, and again, what I wish the, I could do was fly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> way, way, way to bring it back. Simply, uh, that would certainly make your international travel a little bit easier too, if you could oh, just man. fly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, just as a side question. Let me ask you this, because I I know that we're kind of deviating from the, the the formula that I've worked out here, but I have to ask this. Is it because adults? Are there not adult playgrounds because it would be silly or an adult would worry about getting hurt? Or is it because we just don't design playgrounds for adults?
1: So, uh, there's so much to go into on this because I, I, I read constantly about this and I won't, I know we don't have much time. But I think, first of all, it's just, it's social construct. Um, for example, and I often use this example, possibly I, get, I did last time. If, if I went outside right now and climbed a tree or while I was at the bet show, I started climbing railings. You know, you got these railings that, that lead to I'm just picturing it, or whatever. That's why I'm laughing. Right. <laughs> if I did that, someone would stop me, security would stop me, or 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 in a park in the middle of the in the middle of the park, if I was climbing a tree, someone would phone the police and they'd say, There's a man climbing a tree in the park. Like he's just clambering around this tree. And 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 the police would come and say, Everything okay, sir. <laughs> it's just like and yet we don't think twice about kids climbing trees they're like oh look he's climbing the tree now he's gonna have to be careful or he'll fall whatever and we encourage it and but if i wanted to go out and climb a tree it would they would call security at the event space or the police if it was generally public and and that's, that's a stark difference. And yet as a man, I'm a rock climber. I love rock climbing. I also like tree climbing. I like to clamber a lo- around trees, but, but, but to do that, I might have to go camping in the middle of the, nowhere where no one can see me try to clamber a tree
2: right.
1: uh, and and so on because, because someone will will we'll, we'll take unkindly to it. But we also do the same with our teenagers. Like as soon as we hit teenage years, they're not allowed to BMX in the city. They're not allowed to skateboard. You're not allowed to rollerblade here. We give them these glorious spaces where skateboarding would be perfect. And then there's videos all over um, the internet where security guards are taking their skateboards off them. And we've we've literally, I've just spent the week in London. Everywhere in London that you could possibly grind a skateboard, they've put these, they've literally spent public money designing and retrofitting these systems that stop children from playing and Mm -hmm. as a result there are now studies that have come out i think the last one was 2018 there's studies that have come out to say that as a result of the cost of living in cities and therefore families don't generally live there anyway um on top of this idea that we just don't design cities for children cities are becoming cities like london birmingham uh, paris berlin they're becoming child-free spaces our children don't exist in cities anymore um, mm. unless we want them to come in for commerce so we encourage them to come in do some shopping spend some of mum and dad's money and then leave again but we don't encourage them um and so adult playgrounds is a wonderful idea we just don't do it i was that i was i, I was that guy um uh, i was a stepdad for many years and um I was, the, I was the dad in the soft play center. I was in it and I was running around and the kids were loving it and I was falling off edges and into ball pits and stuff like that while all the other parents sat outside with their cups of tea watching and going, why is he in there with them? Um, I was literally the only dad that was in there. And so I think it's a combination of a, a, a spectrum of social construct um, uh, uh, constructs that, that, that dictate to us. There's a time and a place just stop that. Just, you know, I, in fact, I hadn't, this is a little bit too personal, but I had an ex partner who said to me once, uh, get, you need to get rid of this game." I had a PlayStation two back then. And she said, you need to get rid of the PlayStation. And I said, and this came out the blue as part of our relationship. And I said, why? And she was like, it's just a struggle with it. She said, men don't play. Boys do. So you just need to get rid of the PlayStation. Huh. Ex-partner. Ex <laughs> Ex-partner.
0: <laughs> now, what I will say though is something I've seen um you know the invitation a lot of times for adults isn't there on a playground. Again, the playground is designed for a small child and th- you can feel when a playground is designed for a ch- for an adult to stand outside of it, not to play with their child but to oh yeah be be there and observe but not engage. Yep. When I was uh just freshly divorced. Oh, since we're sharing personal stories, I three very small children, there was a playground across the street from us in Deerfield, Illinois, fantastic playground, where it was designed for small children. But as an adult, I could walk up into the structure, I could, you know, some mm-hmm. of these things were massive, they were still child safe, it was fantastic. It was still child safe. But as an adult, I could walk into it. And I could feel the invitation was there and you could see adults engaging with kids throughout the space, not just on the peripheries, but actually physically in it. But the other thing that I, I noticed that you alluded to earlier in your comments was, you know, those teenage years um, there's those cranky parents who I think we start to almost cut off kids from having access to playgrounds where, Oh, those teenagers, we can't have those teenagers at the playground. Uh, because my kids my little kids can't play at it well again where's the sign that says this site this playground is for only you know three-year-olds to 10-year-olds and then is it is it that that magical age that they're not allowed to be
1: there anymore so yeah it's it's definitely it's part of that conformity it's like there's a there's a there's a there's an expectation of the age that you're at. We're, we're very good. I've said this before, actually, uh, uh, in, other, in other presentations. We as adults are very good at taking what children are and want and and need. And we we stick it behind paywalls and we package it up for them. Clothing, you know, sports, whatever it is, gaming. Like, you know, there's gaming is a multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry. And we're selling it back to kids. It's like, hey, see that play stuff you love to do? we could make a lot of money doing that and mm-hmm. we sell it back to them and i know you and i have feelings and uh, thoughts and similar thoughts and feelings on that and so um and we sell it back to them and then when they don't do it the way we want them to do it we chastise them and we tell them hey you're a teenager you shouldn't be hanging around there you mm-hmm. know it's like you're you skateboarder you shouldn't be skateboarding in this area you should be skateboarding out where no one can see you children <laughs> should be seen and not heard remember um and then and 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 then when we do isolate them and they sort of, I mean, we, where I lived in Scotland for a while, they had this um, skate park and it was nowhere near the city. It was in the sort of fields and they'd sort of dug this hole and concreted it and turned it into a skate park. And then the police were constantly circling it because they must be up to no good. And these kids, I'll be honest with you, these kids, I went, because as a skateboarder and a... BMXer primarily I would go along there sometimes and they were so welcoming it didn't matter that I was a 40 year old guy in fact I fell once on my rollerblades and it was just instant all these teenagers came over and they were like you're all right and then they lifted me up and they were like <laughs> and one of them said to me next time you go down keep your shoulders back because that's where your central weight is and I was just like thanks and and it was just it was such a good atmosphere just to be among them um and yet Several times an hour, the police would go round and look at them and shine a torch in to see what they were doing. And now, I'm not saying that they weren't at some point or some degree of them weren't up to no good in, as we would call, socially, uh, socially um, up to no good. But at some point, but generally, we were the ones who had isolated them in this field. We were the ones that had said, "Oh no, no you can't play where you want to play you have to play there and then mm-hmm. we'll circle you with police and it was just I, I, even the no I, again i'll go on a small rant but the no ball games signs the uk is full of them everywhere you go there's a no ball games sign uh but and it's just and and they're always in the most appropriate places for ball games <laughs> which is why they put them there right big open spaces with a big flat wall that somebody lives behind and you just think oh if you had a football here or a basketball this would be amazing but there's a no ball game sign and someone will phone the the police if you start kicking a ball around um and it's just so it's just ridiculous I once saw a a small church in the UK and it was it was a church beautiful little church on this massive lawn huge expansive lawn and and it was natural in this little town for everybody to want to and the, the weather was lovely in the summer so you could go and sit on a a bench or a lawn somewhere and everyone was like well that lawn's nice and it was this tiny little building in this acres and acres and acres of land mm-hmm. uh, but they had signs all over the place that said no games not even no ball games just no games <laughs> like chess maybe i was <laughs> like oh this is you know I, I just i love that because it's and it stuck with me it's like why are we constantly caging the play space well, and then we complain when we're we complain when we're overworked and we're tired and we're depressed
0: well to 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 speak to Stephen's point a little bit too, uh having spent a lot of time in the West of Ireland myself. Now uh, the only place I have seen that feels completely isolated, completely cut off where you can't go up to it. It was uh, Mount Batten's castle, which is the uncle of uh, the Queens, the, the Queens husband, uh, right. Lord Mountbatten. That was the only place in all of Ireland that it was just one of these old, you know, Obviously, English country estates where the the lawns were well manicured, but the walls were very much up. So yeah, west of Ireland a little different than it sounds like the UK. In fact, uh, try calling the gardie in the west of Ireland, and you'll you'll they'll come around in about four or five days. You know, <laughs> to
1: to take care of your so, issue. So you can see there was a there was a man in that tree. <laughs> yes exactly four days ago right wow we've
0: we've really gone off the uh the 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 the, the streamlined script that i've developed for the podcast but i'm totally fine with it because we're getting into the good stuff uh because now we're down to the third question uh name that one song whenever it hits your speakers you're gonna sing along to it whether you sing
1: poorly Ah. or fantastically Uh, who knows how i sing and i didn't record myself and find out but um but i love it i love singing i love dancing and i um and i quite often dance in the house regardless but i'll also dance publicly but there's so many songs and i could go into so many groups that i love i like a lot of sort of uh in so so one of the issues is i like a lot of uh, instrumental electronica so things like Royksop, for example um from norway and so i i lyrics wise are quite lacking but if i but if i had to choose a song that when it comes on the radio i absolutely have to uh, sing it's the never ending story because that's oh my just God. that was my entire childhood anyway um and then when it comes on the radio it's just like boom and i remember watching um stranger things and they did the whole never end spoilers there's a never ending story uh, scene a yeah. wonderful never ending story seen in stranger things and it was just the best
0: again did you cry when the horse
1: when they go to the the swamp oh the swamps of sadness and losing losing attacks absolutely if you you
0: didn't cry from the swamps of sadness i'm sorry get yourself checked
1: yeah you need to (laughs) get yourself checked for for some sort of uh issue but um but no but seriously uh, the other day actually i saw and you can check this out on the internet if you look for never-ending story cosplay and specifically look at artax or the swamps of sadness oh no Some, i can't imagine somebody went to a, a cosplay and they they were dressed as a tree and they looked great they had the hair and the and the oh. the, 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 the sort of leather jerkin and everything on and then all they had was a piece of leather which no. led to a horse's head <laughs> no. and and they could put the horse's head anywhere down on the ground and then go artax it was genius <laughs> <laughs> it was genius and it looked like the horse was in the floor it was so good as the best now, cosplay i've ever seen now see the reason why we laugh so much at that is because how sad
0: we were when that happened in the movie again the first time you see it you're like oh and i'm like uh, i think it was probably nine or ten it's like the horse just died yeah spoiler alert if you haven't found it out already he comes back at the end all right uh <laughs> and if you hadn't seen it yet sorry you you're almost five you been- <laughs> years too late at this point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, last uh, last pre pre show question: um, mm-hmm. What is the one thing about your field that surprises you when they first hear about it? Again, you were working uh, for a long time with uh, Immersive Minds, doing a lot of yeah. work around games gameplay. Again, 140 <laughs> games, 70 different countries. But now, again, you're working at Microsoft. You're doing a lot of work specifically around Uh, Minecraft and education you've really brought that to life what is the thing that surprises people and maybe this can lead us into the conversation about your current work that you're doing
1: yeah so I think the thing that surprises people the most is I mean there's it's still considered a fringe science and there's so many people say to me games in education Um, and you and I are going to be in um, Illinois talking about exactly that Indiana. Uh, sorry, Indiana. My, 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 my fault. Uh, we're going to be in Indiana talking exactly about that. And and even the work that I'm doing in Indiana, there's still people coming to the table at this point saying, what, Minecraft? Games? Um, and so I think there's... I, I'll split this into two, and I'll keep the first one brief, which is simply people don't... This One of the surprising things is when I talk about we're going to be using technology to teach, and then we talk about that technology as games and game-based learning, they go huh and they're really surprised because and they're you mean i could take my playstation from home and and do something in my classroom i say yeah and the second thing that i think that then comes with that as a surprise is the sheer engagement that it dictates um we put a tweet out for esports in south africa for example we just as a school system one of the clients i'm working with we they said to me how should we introduce this and, and see if we can do you want us to put something out in school and see if we can draw kids in? And I said, and and they said, oh, we should, should we put a letter out to parents. And I said, just tweet it out to your community and say, hey, we're thinking of doing this. Who would be interested? And they got 2,000 parent replies because they have their whole school system. They got 2,000 plus parent replies in 24 hours mm. um, because because the parents had said, oh, your school's doing an eSports thing. Would you be interested? And the kids were, yes, 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 yes. So they replied. And, you know, when two – when you put something out in any school anywhere in the world and 2000 children come back and say I'll I'll do that I'll do that mm-hmm. like even any any curriculum after school club you know it's just like you want to do a coding club did you get 2000 kids probably not um, no. and yeah right and so when we engage games uh, or children through this platform and this media that they already know the big unsurprising to me but and and you but the but the surprising thing to teachers and it's not their fault many teachers aren't gamers or they game but they just didn't make the connection between one and the other um but but it's the it's the drive that they just didn't quite see coming it's the 100 attendance we do projects and i say to them running a project at the moment called blockonomics and if you don't you where children live in a city and they They learn about economics of life, everything from taxation to banking to postal services to food production and distribution, everything. And if you don't turn up to school, then in your world, you are in threat of losing your job because you get, Mm -hmm. you know, three late days or whatever, or you might be docked pay or you might, uh, your job might be taken, for example, you might miss an opportunity um, and so on. And when we run that project, we generally have 100% uh, attendance uh, throughout the entire project. No one doesn't show up and no one shows up late. Mm. And teachers, the teachers we run it with are like, I've never seen this before. Like we've, and and they point, they usually point at one kid or two kids and they go, they're never on time. And it's (laughs) just like, well, they are this week. Um, And so- I think that's one of the big surprising things is just how impactful this is.
0: Well, and it, and it goes to, here's the other thing too, people may hear that and go, oh, well, I'll, I'll get the same results. Initially, you may get the same results, but again, what are the goals? What is what is it you're trying to accomplish? Again, in this in the school system in South Africa, um, I know uh, speaking with a, a, a person who I know works with you quite a bit, well, works with Microsoft Education quite a bit, Ken Shelton, who has done work mm-hmm. in South Africa as well. Uh, For some schools, just getting kids, to, as you are alluding to, come to school is is a hard thing because of a variety of different barriers. How you set this up and how you structure this and how you, again, invite the children to come to school is sometimes more important than let's say you have 100% attendance already and you ask the same question because your goals are going to be very different. Let's say you have a big school system with very good attendance and you ask the same question. Are you going to do exactly what they were doing in South Africa? Probably not. There's again, no. everything is so that's that's where I think there's there's some art that comes into the work that we're doing. I think that a lot of people are still looking for those turnkey solutions. And I think as you have found through your use of games, my use of games in the same way, there is no turnkey. It is it there's a lot of of you have to know these games, you have to know the ins and outs. You can't just necessarily always acquiesce to the students and say well teach me you have to have some buy-in to it as well too you have to put skin in the game you have to dedicate your own time into this as well too
1: oh absolutely uh, and that's, yeah. that's i mean I, I i'm a we're in danger now of me going way down a rabbit hole for i'm it. a big I, well i'll need to be i need to be careful about how i phrase all of this but i, I I'm really passionate about that. I don't think everyone in the world needs to be an absolute game based learning expert no it's not it's not reasonable because otherwise we also i've spent you've spent decades doing you know i you know, I, I started but it's playing the game is what I mean ago. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where I'm going with that is that where we're finding the biggest success and actually there's two elements to this as well. Where we're finding the biggest successes is where teachers, little groups of teachers generally, there's normally a core of people that go, I'll do that. Like down in South Africa, for example, we have um, Magdillion, for example, who's one of the teachers in the school system I'm talking about. And she just loved it so much from day one. She'd never played Minecraft before. And the, as soon as she got her hands on it and saw the impact with the kids, she was like, this is what I want to do. And she's now got permission from her school to become that person in her school as part of this wider system and she's loving it and her career is thriving as a result because she's learning new things and she's taking pd courses and she's learning about new technologies and how they but also her teaching is thriving as well because she's got this new repertoire of tools that she didn't have a year ago Um, Mm. and she's now responsible for running the esports leagues in that school and when we talk about esports and i know we're going to go into this in more detail but i just need to be clear that this is esports is as and for education, not just esports in education, um, which we can talk about later. Um, um, But but yes, skin in the game is important. The second element of having that skin in the game is the legacy that it then leaves. So you become... inspiration for other teachers or you become the person who can then say to another teacher I'll do that with you or your students are like oh my teacher does that and then and and they become your sort of little um, engine for moving this forward because you were the person that, that did that and so what you end up doing by having that skin in the game is you create this forward moving legacy this constantly growing legacy of what will one day be looked at as normal I I mean I hope you and I both hope that in 20 years time no one's debating this we're just doing it because because it's the way we should be teaching well and for some I know it's a
0: fight Uh, even in my own school district where we've had success uh, with our esports programs I think there's still confusion there's still questions about what this is there's still questions about the value but again you did bring up a very good point. You talked about esports. Let me see if I say this right. You said esports as part of education, as opposed to for, with. Uh, oh, no. I, I do it, I'll
1: here. Just, you uh, say it. You say it better. say will do it again. Soundbite. Yes, Sound there yes, um, we go. So I'm a big believer that all technology should be, is, as, and for. So, so we can say, you know, Minecraft is education. Minecraft for education. Minecraft as education, rather than just in. Esports in education yeah. is is relatively easy. You know, we set That's up an simple. esports team you know and 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 it will many american schools use it for scholarship and it's great i don't that's i'm not knocking the value of those programs but how do we make it curriculum relevant how do we make it pedagogically important how do we make it uh, impactful on social and emotional learning how do we make it career development uh, facing and mm-hmm. so if we can take esports and make it is as and for education at every step of the way then we are more likely to get the buy-in of our governments and our district authorities and, and even the teachers on the ground, rather than just saying, hey, everyone, we're gonna run an esports program and we'll see how it works out. We'll get some kids along, we'll have some prizes. That's great, but we need to make it, we need to make it educationally relevant for me, to certainly for me to be interested in, and involved.
0: Well, and I hope to, uh, again, as another plug for the symposium April 8th at Purdue University, uh, we did not really bring in a lot of gamers per se this hmm. is when you look at the when you look at the agenda of speakers it is more from the academic looking at things from a socially connected aspect as you because as you alerted to esports in education or gaming in education is nice but the yeah. impact is the all the other parts of it especially when we are talking about now things at a university level uh, I, it was nice for, for last couple of years that we've seen a business major certificate in esports, a, a you know, a uh, hotel restaurant management certificate in esports. A oh, I can now do a, a, an arena thing. Okay, cool. But yeah. really, when I look at things, I and I look at again a, a university like Purdue, which has a history of patent development, which has a history of engineering development. I look at that and go, now let's take that gaming love, that intrinsic motivation around it. And let's turn that into research. Let's turn that yes. into building the faster computer, the 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 nanotechnology that's going to take those computers. Because again, nothing nothing that it, that makes a gamer more upset than lag. So let's oh, develop yeah. <laughs> the technologies to cut down on that lag, and then that makes everything a little better. Yeah, um, you know, those are the things I think people very easily miss in all this, but. What I also think that a lot of people are missing, especially because, again, we've talked about in our last uh, conversation that we had about how a lot of games are pulled off. The, you know, the, 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 the education games don't have a lot of value. Microsoft's Minecraft is not an education game, but it now has a very big position in education. Hmm. And you've developed something new related to the current crisis that's going on, the war. Let's just call it what it is, it's a war.
1: In yeah, Ukraine nice. um,
0: yeah. and as a history teacher myself as a I minored in history with a focus on World War two Cold War and Eastern and Soviet Russian history and I'm watching this trying to explain this to kids and it, it, as much as a, a kid would I would love to break it down to a 32nd TikTok video there are layers. On this that can't be, I think, transferred as well in a TikTok video as as you're alluding to with the work that you're doing. Talk about with with what uh, you are working on with Minecraft and the Ukraine war, Russian Ukraine sure. war. Sure. Right yeah. So
1: so many years ago, 2015 was the height of the ref what we called the refugee crisis in Europe. Um, when uh, the Arab Spring uh, had begun to unfold and the conflict in Syria and uh, Libya and Egypt were, was having issues and so on, and people were were uh, moving into Europe as a result. So we're talking specifically about the movement of people as refugees. And politically, Europe had a real issue with that. Now, I, I could go into so much depth about how, at the time, we argued why those people shouldn't be allowed in Europe And then the Ukraine, uh, we have the Ukrainian conflict starts and everyone's like, come in, come in. You're welcome, you're welcome. You're white, just like us. Come on, come on, come on. And and I've just put a Facebook post out about how, strange this all seems from a British and European perspective on that front but we won't go into that in depth simply because the movement of people is the same anywhere in the world and we should all be worried about the 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 forced movement of any of our brothers and sisters and so at the time I was working in schools in across the UK as well as parts of the other world but in the UK of course I have a sense of pride in the way that our students are raised and taught and what I was hearing from some kids because I I, when I'm in schools I quite often talk about if we're doing a history lesson I'll quite often say hey what do you think about this and then we get the you know the feedback and it's just small conversation but I'm just chipping away and researching and I was hearing things like you know 11 year old boys were saying to me yeah refugees they come over here and they take our jobs and I was like you're 11 you don't have a job and they're like well that's what my dad says oh, and boy. so suddenly i was listening to this rhetoric which let's face it the british media was not helping the british media was perpetuating the idea that refugees are thieves and refugees will come and take your jobs and refugees will flood your cities and the reason and you can't have health care is because of refugees
0: and this led into the start of the the movement the brexit movement and a lot which
1: absolutely i mean brexit was was founded on the idea that we needed to secure our borders um and so you have an island so, <laughs> i know right <laughs> this is crazy um and so what was really interesting about all of that was that i was hearing this sort of negative uh rhetoric now I, it is not sometimes i think it is my job but we have to be very careful about what we It's not for me to tell a child that they should think and vote politically in a certain way. I want them to be nice, kind, empathetic people. Mm -hmm. I want them to go out into the world and be good citizens, but it's not up to me to say, you can't vote. Conservative, you can't vote Republican. That's ridiculous. You can't vote Democrat. That's ridiculous. Um, You can't vote for him or her. Um, And so we have to be super careful about that, of course, because we, you know, there's a fine line between that education and that sort of like political um, nudging or even brainwashing. And so we need to be super careful. I mean, and I know there's lots of big things coming out just now with the banning of books, and it's just we need to be so careful about how we how we how we traverse this um, this landscape. And so, but what we can do is we can help our children to see the world through different lenses. And so... Between 2015 and 2018, I took it upon myself to develop, and, and the wonderful team behind Immersive Minds, we developed uh, what we called the Refugee Crisis Minecraft World, and that was a series of lessons uh, based al- around discussion points, think right, deep thinking, human relevant uh, discussion points, that they that they met as they moved through a Minecraft world. So part one, for example, is literally called Leaving Home, and you follow a series of uh, you follow a narrative in Minecraft where you speak to your granddad who says look I can't come with you your mum and dad went ahead to find safe passage and they haven't come back you're going to have to leave Mm -hmm. and we used this narrative because we worked with refugee um, uh, charities in the UK and this was a very real story many children's parents or one parent leaves to go find safe packet passage doesn't come back for a variety of reasons uh, her terrible reasons, and and the child is left to then go themselves or alternatively they have to go themselves and maybe their parents or their grandparents are already gone or struggling or ill health or injured and can't come with them and so children are leaving on their own and we've heard about this all over the world there's children standing at borders asking to get in and and it's harrowing and so what so we started with session section one you leave your granddad you've lost your parents how do we navigate this world And so, uh, and they have to, there's little games where they have to go upstairs and they have to pack three things and they have to make a choice of all these objects that we've given them and things. They then have to uh, go and speak to strangers. And it's funny because, again, the British children, and I set this up, I'll just caveat this by saying that I set the whole thing up to look and feel like a British town, red. you know middle england red uh, brick housing and rows shops amenities car parks it was it felt very european or certainly very british and then as part of the initial lesson i set up these breaking news almost like fake bbc reports that said britain is under attack we're being Hmm. shelled um many citizens are being told to go to morocco get on a boat and get get across to europe and then move on to africa because europe is also in danger and and it was fascinating when i ran these reports out because the kids were like well that's never going to happen and i said why and they said because we're britain like nobody attacks britain fascinating stuff you know like these these assumptions that we make about how our, our troops can go anywhere they want but no one's coming here that's ridiculous mm-hmm. and so uh, that view of the world is 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 really interesting to me and so uh then they they I'll, I'll keep it short because I know we've not got much time but the narrative followed these same children then through talking to strangers to then be told where to go and then there was discussion points around like can you trust these people and then there was soldiers that <clears throat> they spoke to police officers they then had to go through a minefield to get to uh the the docks and the minefield would literally kill the players. And the kids were like, I didn't make it. And there was this whole idea about them not making it in these harrowing minefields. It was just really. And then when they got to the the docks, there was only enough boats for some of them. So then there was the whole, who do you leave behind? Which was, Mm. again, fascinating. I do this, this is all part of a system of, of teaching I do called teaching the tough stuff. And I just don't believe that we're having enough of these discussions, even things like gender equality. Critical, for me, that is absolutely critical to teach young women and young uh, uh, men or young girls and young boys about gender equality from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I was finding when they got to the boats and they were finding that there was only 10 boats, but there was 20 students, the boys in the classroom were like, well, we'll go obviously because we're boys. Like we can work and we're strong and we can make money. And then we send the money back to the women. And I'm just like, we we believe that? Like we really believe that? And they were like, well, I mean, what can a woman do at the other side? And I'm just like, wow, these are Hmm. young, impressionable Uh, either just preteen or teenagers that literally think we should leave all the women at home in the war zone it's fascinating and so we there was teaching to be done and then there's three pieces at the end one they get the land and they have to be processed and they go through can you access education law food uh, you know are you allowed if you're mugged as a refugee can you just go to the police if you're robbed can you just go to the police or are you what are your rights um, in, in this new space how do you integrate effectively the second was uh, the human aspect of building uh, affordable housing and allowing people to live uh, with dignity when they arrive and then the third was your safe space which i'll tell you more about in a second because i can see you want to talk <laughs>
0: Well I, I think the the only thing that that I think is very different from the 2015 Arab Spring versus now with this humanitarian crisis of around I think it said 3.5 million Ukrainians now have have gone into Poland and 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 in fact uh, the area that I live in 10 million here, have
1: left. T- is yeah. it
0: 10? T- it's it- up to t- 10 million have been displaced, yeah. Uh given that uh the, the Chicago area has one of the largest Polish populations in the world outside of Warsaw and outside of Poland uh, and the Ukrainian uh, population here is also very big. I know that we've we've already started taking in some refugees, but I know Poland has been one of the major ones. Um, the the thing that's very different this time is the information that's out there, because you're talking now about a very, I won't I will say a, a country with a very developed cyber warfare division that can mm-hmm, put out mm-hmm. misinformation and information in new ways, and the even you know just the. Gosh, now it's been seven years. The seven years of how information is getting put out there is very different. Yeah. That is one of the other parts of this too that I think is so important for students to realize. I've even seen it with some of my own kids who have interest in this topic are putting videos up online. And I'm saying, well, that that video of that plane was taken from this. This isn't even a MIG. This isn't even a you know, these aren't even you know, we, we have the, there's still the work that needs to be done on the social media aspect of this because there is so much. What looks like fantastic information, which is really not it's either misinformation yeah. or it's or it's something that is confusing to a child. That's why I'm saying there's been so it, this isn't just a simple 30 second tick tock. I'm going to explain what's going on. You can do that as the setup. But the work is, how do we we explain this into matters, and as you're presenting into ways that children are going to grasp and understand, and again, you're taking this from just the humanitarian crisis of itself is a discussion that is a massive part of this beyond the geopolitical ramifications of everything else going on.
1: And one of the things we do with that refugee crisis piece, and we'll get to the Ukraine part because we've we've re-released it, or I've started resharing it um, recently, is one of the the critical things I often say to children is why did they write that? And it doesn't matter if it's the BBC or Al Jazeera or uh, Russian. Um, some sort of Russian television or you know whatever I say to them let's think about why they've put that out there so then they look at the source and they were able to say well they would say that because and they would say that because and then we start and, and quite often I think we don't you know we, there's the whole thing about you know the kid says well, but why but why but why i always encourage that i'm like keep that going right into mm-hmm. your adulthood ask why why did they tell you that story why was it important for the bbc to tell you exactly that today and not tomorrow or yesterday um and tell that exactly in that way and so on why was that the headline and then the kids break it down that critical analysis is absolutely vital
2: right um
1: so so with the ukraine the conflict in in Ukraine um, we I mean, the the, the refugee crisis had already had hundreds of thousands of downloads across, I think the last time we counted, it was like 64 separate countries had given us the bulk of these um, resources. And uh, we'd been working with Americans who had said, oh, this is relevant to the Mexican border. And Mm. we've had people in China have said to us, oh, this is relevant to the people trying to come over from North Korea when they defect from North Korea into China and other other parts of the region. Um, And so suddenly, and of course, much in the Middle East as well. And so what we'd uh what we 'd started to do was sort of paint this picture and, and and this tapestry actually of all of the different places that this would be relevant um it was also met and i think it 's worth saying on the podcast it was also met with uh really quite negative there was there was people from certain groups uh one of which was a white supremacist group uh who threatened to car bomb one of our one of my staff members' car and said, "You keep putting stuff out like this we 're going to get you." um and wow. we had to involve the police and interpol became involved and but as a company we put it out anyway because my, my attitude is if if these are the people you're annoying you're doing your job but right. um but um but 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 it was real we, we had to she had to she wasn't allowed to bring her car to work for a few months and it was just it was really quite difficult time wow. but since the conflict in ukraine has has unfolded we've re um rejigged it a little i've i mean it's just a few sort of uh contextual mentions and things that the the way we designed it was it could work anywhere anyway um and now what we're trying to do is encourage as many people now to pick this out again and say hey there's this terrible conflict it's displacing millions of people let's talk let's Mm -hmm. talk about why historically This has happened and continues to happen. And let's see if we can find solutions to each new generation. Because let's face it, what we're trying to do is too late for us. We we allowed it to happen, just like we allowed the last rhino to die. You know, the last black rhino is now gone Mm -hmm. on our watch. We have an opportunity now for the children of, of tomorrow to not kill the last blue whale or to not let another refugee crisis unfold. You know, whether they're Russian or they're British or they're Indian or they're Chinese, it doesn't matter. We have we have an opportunity for better human beings uh, to come.
0: And, and I think um, as you're alluding to too, uh, even back to the earlier comment that you made with the, Brit- the, the student who said, well, this is Britain. Why would that happen here again? Uh, uh, you asked me a year ago, would there be another war in a European country? I would have said chances are probably not going, you know, beyond mm-hmm. what has already happened in Ukraine when they took over okay. the Odessa region. But then you start to look and go, oh, well, now I see why Poland is so nervous or, or why yep. Hungary is so nervous or the Czech Republic or Slovakia or these countries that have, have seen this before in a lot of the adults' lifetimes, um, that these things are very recent. And while in our mind, they're not, um, no, th- these are things that again, history does have a tendency to unfortunately repeat itself. And again, we see it oh, as yeah. you, just alluding to with the humanitarian crisis that was uh, created from the Syrian war, from the Arab spring in the United States, we have Haitian Cuban immigrant uh, illegal immigration, uh, Mexican and, and Guatemalan immigration. Um, it, it's 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 not yeah. something that we can just turn a blind eye to and just go, well, what does that matter? It's, it's as you're saying, um, using these opportunities in these games to to teach in, in ways that are meaningful for children. Uh, Stephen, before we uh, get out of here, uh, just again, I, I cannot wait for you to be a part of the conversation at Purdue April 8th, but also if people want to get some more information about Stephen, there's a previous episode that I will tag into the show notes for this one. Stephen, anything else you wish to share uh, with the audience uh, before the show or for those people who may be coming to see you and then are going to pick this up after the show?
1: Yeah, uh, the only thing I would say is, first of all, thanks for tuning in and having an interest in anything that, that involves games and game-based learning. Um, we, it's a fight. It's a fringe science, but it, it will one day be uh, normal. And if you need anything or you have an normal. idea... Yeah right, I do. Um, and if you if you wanna if you have an idea or you have a project or you don't know where to get started or you want to pick up esports or you like the idea of the refugee crisis or gender equality or any of the teaching the tough stuff anything at all, uh, my uh, Twitter is right below. Please reach out, follow me, reach out, and um, we'll uh, we'll make it happen.
0: That's Stephen Reed Edu. That's uh, Reed spelled R E I D for those of you who are listening. So oh, yeah, and again, I, I will. I will have a link to Stephen's uh, Twitter handle in the show notes as well. Stephen Reed, uh, community, uh, now I forget what your title was at Customer Engagement PM. (laughs) Customer Engagement PM, Scotsman, proud Scotsman. uh, Stephen Reed, thank you for being again a guest
2: on the Academy of Esports podcast. Most welcome, thanks James. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember... You can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com/taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.